Welcome to For the Love of Jewelers, a podcast connecting people engaged in the craft and industry of jewelry making. Brought to you by Rio Grande Jewelry Supplies and hosted by yours truly, Courtney Gray, founder of Creative Side Jewelry Academy in Austin, Texas. I'm honored and excited to take you on this journey to discover not only the how, but why we make jewelry. My goal is to not only inform you, but to empower you by sharing the passion, perspective, and perseverance of your fellow makers and professionals in all facets of the craft. Let's dive in. In this episode of For the Love of Jewelers podcast, we will share with you the real-life experiences of a professional jewelry designer and artist. My friend Remy Rotonier and I will be talking about what it looks like to design for custom clients, private label for huge brands like Tiffany & Company, Bella Luce, Harry Winston, and signing designer collections for Nambe and Jewelry Television. Born and raised in Paris, Remy received his bachelor's degree in jewelry design from the French Jewelers Union, as well as a graduate degree in gemology from the National Institute of Gemology in Paris. Remy went on to become employed in Paris by Alexandre Reza and Serge Boudoir before Tiffany and Company hired him on as a staff designer in New York at the age of 24 years old. Remy's skills at creating incredible lifelike renderings, his eye for design and his ability to develop personal and professional relationships have helped him build his passion-based business. He also passes on these important skills by teaching and producing videos on jewelry design and rendering. If you ever get a chance to witness a live demonstration, lecture, or to take a class with Remy, I know you will gain lots of insight into the art of jewelry design. Remy, we're so lucky to have you here in Austin, Texas at Creative Side Jewelry Academy this week teaching our community and students all about how to design beautiful pieces, how to get three-dimensional with their sketches, um, how to do renderings, really, really beautiful professional uh, level renderings for their, for their clientele. And not only are you talking about that, you're talking about what it is to be a jewelry designer. Um, so I wanted to sit today with you and just pick your brain a little bit and really share with the community, the jewelry world out there. Um, I have some questions for you that I think maybe in the minds of our community as they think about what they're going to do on their path. And I thought, let's share what your path has been like. Um, and so let's start off with telling us a little bit of how you came to design for Tiffany and Company. Like, it's kind of an untouchable thing in our minds. And what was that like? This was, uh, thank you for having me. But you know, Tiffany's was uh, the, the great experience because I came from Paris and um, I really didn't know much about American jewelry design. I was trained in Paris with a very classical training. So Tiffany's, as my first job in the US, was really a wonderful way of probably loosening up a little bit on the classical um, training that France is very well known for. So I really appreciated that. It was a great time. And tell me a little bit more about like what were the ins and outs of working for, for such a large company? Well, what I loved is the fact that you could be doing a design for um, a little pendant in sterling silver that was going to retail maybe for $30, as well as doing a tiara that was hundreds of thousands of dollars. And basically, there was everything in between. And being able to touch on all those different uh, categories of product, if you will, categories of jewelry from something that's available for anyone to buy, as well as something that's so incredibly exclusive, um, but giving it the same attention to design in any of the situations. I think that that was the thing that taught me the most there. And so they would bring you these ideas and then you would sit pencil to paper and watercolor well, to paper as you do when you teach or they wouldn't to... really bring me the ideas what they would say is they would give me a price point they would explain that they're looking for a little you know maybe they had the Elsa Peretti bean that was that amazing little pendant that is still so famous and is iconic for Tiffany and company and they would say could you design something that also would be maybe in you know in the same price range that would be interesting that would be that a lot of people could relate to and um and, you know, I didn't understand about uh, sterling silver very much because in France, 
at the time it has changed since but it was a little bit like costume jewelry to work with uh, silver and we only worked with 18k we certainly didn't work with 14 or anything lower than that so for me it was great because i thought this is an amazing um opportunity to actually take a little bit of silver which is also precious and beautiful and do something that's going to be timeless that a lot of people are going to be able to enjoy so for a young designer it was really a great school can I ask you what age you were when you started with Tiffany and Company? I was 25. So I was here and, um, and uh, they, um, they were very instrumental in getting me started pretty quickly on, on designing for them as one of the staff designers for the company. And how'd they find you? Um, that, um, I actually went to meet somebody at Harry Winston and he somehow was connected to, um, to my father, but I can't remember how. And, you know, one person led to another. And I remember meeting the gentleman at Harry Winston, who was Mr. Ambaji Shinde. He was this extraordinary Indian gentleman that had been designing for Winston since the 50s, I believe. And Mr. Shinde saw my drawings because I came with a drawing book from Paris. And he said, you really have to meet my friend Maurice, who's the manager of the jewelry design department at Tiffany's. And so I met Maurice and we hit it off. And then I met with Mr. Loring, John Loring, who was the art director at the time at Tiffany's. And Mr. Loring said, okay, you draw like a Parisian. Can you show us? Here are some catalogs, some blue books. And I just started looking at this and thinking, oh my God, Americans are really wild. They design all these crazy things. And I got so excited. And so from there, um, I went home. And I remember for the next three weeks, I, I was already working for Serge Boudet at the time you were mentioning. And in the evenings, I was actually sketching for my presentation at Tiffany's. And I, I did a presentation, and it was well received. Was this just taking drawings and showing and talking about where you came with the ideas? Uh, I'm curious. You just were. I just did some drawings um, and painted them some renderings, if you will. Mm. And uh, from there, I got a phone call. I remember I didn't sleep that night because I, I was drawing until the very early in the morning. And at 5 a.m., I dropped off the drawings at Mr. Loring's hotel. where He was renovating his apartment in, in Paris at the time. And he was staying in this hotel. And I remember driving with my little car through Paris, dropping out of, off the, uh, the, drawing, the drawings at... Um, at, at the front desk at maybe 5 a.m. or something. Then I picked up a couple of croissants and wolfed them down and passed out. And at 10 a.m. I got this phone call saying, your drawings are quite beautiful, come and see me. And that's how it started. <laughs> oh, the anticipation is almost harder than the actual That was the best drive. Occurrence, yes. oh my goodness. I totally feel you on that. Um, so the other night when you were, uh, we were lucky enough to have Remy doing some live rendering, a live rendering demo at Creative Site, and it was spectacular to watch you just, you know, oh, here's the shank, and you make it look so easy. I mean, you know, you've been doing, doing this for, <clears throat> what, 30? A long time. Yeah, a long time. <laughs> <laughs> 35 uh, years 35 this summer, years. I guess. Uh-huh, yeah. yeah, but who's counting? Exactly. Um, yeah. How does it feel when you're, when you're drawing? And, and one thing I remember asking you the other day was, um, do you just draw for fun still? Because this is now your career, and um, I, I feel like we can lose ourselves in career sometimes and forget the joy and the pleasure that we find from the actual, you know, the thing that course. we got into it for. Things can get into, you can get into a rut, you can get into a situation where you start designing the same things over and over again. And I have found ways of not doing that and not falling into that trap. I think that, for instance, what I did is... Since I opened my company, which is Remy Design, but now it's turning into Remy Routinier Inc., um, the purpose of the company was actually not to do that and, and to stay new and to refresh things constantly. So what I decided to do was um, do sort of a fan of activities. So I would have the teaching, which I adore because I really sh love sharing with the students some of the design techniques that I've developed through the years. But there was also going to be some private label work, which is when you actually design for big corporations, your name doesn't appear anywhere. I also decided to continue doing custom work, which also opens all kinds of doors on new concepts because the customers take you places that you wouldn't necessarily go on your own. They make you design things you wouldn't have thought about. So that's a good way also to motivate 
and keep um, inventing new recipes for amazing designs mm. and how to make them and how to have them actually produced. So that's very, very um, uh, energizing and stimulating for the, the designer's mind. So when you have a, an array of different activities like this, it's, um, it's much easier to not uh, fall into always the same realm of shapes. I also have designs um, that I do for collections that are under my name, such as the new Nambe collection. I have the men's and the ladies line for Nambe now, so it's Remy for Nambe. And that has been a whole lot of fun because it's sterling silver and it's very organic. I designed for fabulous companies like Cabana, and I've designed for Cabana since 1994. And that's private label and their work is based on inlay jewelry. So suddenly you have to constantly switch your um, gears and turn your hat. Is that how you say that in English? Where you are going to be exposed to different techniques of jewelry design. And I think that that's very, very helpful to not um, to renew yourself and, and stay fresh. Do you think it keeps you from being able to focus in on and, and become like, well, you are the pro, I would say, but... Um, I, I kind of go back and forth with this with students sometimes it's you know I advise them have three pieces of work laid out on your desk all the time you know and for me that helps to kind of have this like you said motivation and a new a new piece to pick up when you're feeling really stuck or having you know what we call going through a skinny spot you know mm -hmm. where you just want to throw it across the room it's like okay lay it down what you know and shift gears and and I think as a matter of fact yes I understand what you're doing and I think it's very smart but for instance because of the, the constant changing nature of what I do, um, if I give myself three days to design for Nambe collection, for instance, then I know ahead of time that that's coming, maybe a couple of weeks before, sometimes a month, sometimes, you know, a couple of days before. But I have a little bit of time to plant the seed psychologically, and I don't necessarily know that I'm doing that. But by the time I sit down, I'm really ready to do it, and I get very excited about the different projects that I'm on. So I really don't have time to worry, or let's say I don't have the problem too much about the void of the white page in front of me. I think I have found ways of, my dad used to say he was also a designer uh, in the fashion business, and he used to say to me, the more you create, the more you design, and the more you develop that muscle, so that when you actually sit down to, to draw, it, the ideas come because you you want it really badly. And if I do ever have a moment when I think, I'm not sure that I'm ready to do this right now. And I, if I had the luxury of saying, I can do it, I'll think about it tomorrow, like Scarlett, right? I can't deal with this today. I'll think about it tomorrow. Well, if that ever happens, then it's okay because I'm thinking, um, there's other things that I can work on in the meantime. I have custom work that is always waiting for me, or I have this new, um, suddenly I'll think, oh, I really have to remember this for the Cabana collection. So I jolt it down and I, I sketch it and put it in my sketchbook. And really between all these activities, there is no real downtime unless you really decide to take a break from design, which is not that easy for me. Yeah. To actually stop. I know. <laughs> well, once you get, get moving, yeah, it is, it is hard to stop for sure. Um, so what would you say, well, I want to talk a little bit about custom in particular, because I think a lot of people are either nervous about entering that field, they're thinking about what's it going to take, how am I going to work with these clients, what can I say yes to, what can I say no to. I always say to say yes to everything, <laughs> just say yes to everything in the beginning and figure and it out. And then deal with it And after. then deal with it because... No, but that's fine, you know, you can do that. But the thing is, when you're going to be designing for a customer, before you think about how you feel, you really must think about how they feel. Because it is about turning your art inside out, in the sense that this time you're at their service. And what you're going to be doing is going to be to make them happy. Now, you have that a lot when you design collections. You design to make people happy. That's what I love about jewelry is that it has that incredible power, right? Every time you look at a beautiful piece of jewelry, it brings so much happiness to the wearer. Granted, but think about the state of mind that a customer is in when they walk in the door, whether it's in your studio or your shop, or when they want to, um, they meet you for the first time on an airplane, like it's happened to me, and you're designing for them. They're in a very specific frame of mind. They're a little bit nervous because they're going to spend a lot of money. 
they are also a little bit nervous because it's a very personable exchange and they have to make sure that they feel good enough with you to talk about these personal things about their partners and their wives, the anniversary, the new wife, the ex, you know, it's, it gets pretty interesting. So they become very connected with you if you let that happen, if you leave yourself open, if you create that special space mm -hmm. where they're going to be comfortable enough to tell you their stories. Mm -hmm. And I think that when you do that and when you start writing down the things that I call the given things, the things that come from the sky that are given to you in order to create that piece of jewelry. What you have to do is start writing them down. Don't take anything for granted. You start writing down on a piece of paper their name, their best number to call them out, which is very important because you don't want to call the, at the wrong time at the wrong place. Okay. So the partner is not going to know you're doing this, mm. whoever it is. And then from there, you're going to write down the things that are the most important. We know we're working with an eight millimeter diamond that belonged to grandma. We're going to write that down. What color is it? What is it? We're going to start having this conversation about the things that we know already are a acquired we say in French that are there that are that you can take for for granted actually so for instance their ring size do we have an idea I'm looking at her hand I'm looking at her ear because that's your real estate if you're going to be doing earrings and that's going to be things that are very very important to start with the things that are for sure there for you to work with after that the design is almost like a math mathematical problem it's going to be the the gap in the DNA sequence. You are there to actually fill that little gap. And so, and it's a giant one, but it feels like you're given so much information from what the person is telling you, from what you're feeling from that person. This is one of those instances that you actually look at someone and you get, and it's not about profiling anything or judging anything. It's about getting, if you leave yourself as a blank slate, uh, letting people make an impression on you because that is all going to push the pencil in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and staying curious, right? Yeah. Staying curious about what... Well, Interested know. and curious yeah. and asking all the right questions. Right, right. And, and really, it is very personal. I love it. And it's very personal and it's um, this is the time to really listen to them. Right, right. Um, I was going to ask you how do you establish trust with your clients, but I think that kind of answers it right there. It's really... It's an exchange. It's a, uh, you know, you sit down, you make them comfortable, right? And um, they do begin to share, share very personal things. And, oh, yes. But you can take all of that energy and kind of uh, put it into to a piece for them. I love, I do, I personally love the custom design world. And that's where I began. And um, I don't know if I'd ever, you'd ever find a line of jewelry with my name on it. Because I really just love that one-on-one -on -one experience. The one-on-one -on -one is like nothing else. I mean, you create a bond with, with your customers. They... They trust you, like you said, um, and they feel taken care of. You know, a lot of people want to be listened to and they want to be heard, especially when they're creating something that's going to be so meaningful to them. Yeah, uh, it's such an important piece. Heirloom piece, remaking somebody's grandmother's ring and, yeah. uh, you know, engagement ring. Oh, my gosh, you know, huge, huge thing. I think that's uh, very personal, uh, wonderful. Remy, thanks for sharing your perspective on custom design. Can we talk a little bit about private label work with everyone? My main question is, what does this process look like? Do these labels come to you with a color scheme, a gemstone, a rough sketch, or is it a blank page? Every project is different when it comes to private label. So what it is, is really it's private in the sense that, in the sense that you're not going to appear anywhere. And you know that from the start. It's part of the deal. You're going to get paid well for doing beautiful work. What you Again, you're turning your attention to them again. And it's not necessarily one person at this point, although the design director who's going to give you some feedback is going to be very um, instrumental in finding the right and uh, helping you push that pencil in the right direction also. But <clears throat> in this case, you have to do a little bit of research. You have to look at what they do. What do they do best? What are they known about? What are they, what is their dream? What are the best sellers? What are the pieces that don't sell well and why? And you start getting some ideas. And then they're going to tell you some things. They're going to tell you, you know, this bracelet type is working very well for us. This is a look that we do a lot, but we want something 
So you have to pay really attention to all these keywords. We want something similar to that, but we want to take it to the next place. And that's where you come in. And that's where you bring all your books and references and all kinds of things that can give you inspiration. And the things that you see in the world, and I'm not necessarily talking about jewelry. I don't, I mean, I look at other people's jewelry, but I really am much more interested in architecture, source of inspirations from nature, from um, fashion, other places. Antiques jewelry is very in interesting and you can find a lot of inspiration from there. And you can look at everybody's work because you look at it and then you put it away. And then you look at every client and every client has a look, has a feel to them. And what your job is to do as a designer is to take them to an even better place. And that's what they really appreciate when you're able to do that. Mm, that's, an, that's a true talent, I would think, is beyond custom, you're working through someone else's brand, through their name and through what they've already designed and you're finding mm -hmm. ways to really create something that's marketable on a, a grander scale perhaps or bring them back around to a new phase or a new line. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's a huge responsibility I would think. Is there a pressure involved with that? Yes. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> going to lie to you. Talk about losing there, sleep, right? But there's, there's pressure because you want to do a good job to begin with and as a designer you don't want to draw the same thing you draw last month for them or, or you want to design something that is going to get their attention but not necessarily traumatize them either. You want them to go ooh I didn't think about this but you don't want them to go ooh that's too far off either so what you do is you go in ripples this is what I love doing is you take the theme and you you start expanding with it mm -hmm. and it's very very interesting it really lets you it's almost like an actor actually gets into a role and the into new shoes so that you can maybe your job is to give a new sentiment to this new role but it's it's maybe um maybe an act that has been done before you know obviously this company has been there before you came on but what you're supposed to do is you're bringing a little bit of your um creativity and a little bit of of your knowledge of the jewelry design to to really help them to continue creating some excitement for their clients so it's a great privilege to be able to do that for companies and and i've been doing it for many many years and love it so you're talking a lot about the pros. <laughs> I'm going to ask you now to talk a little bit about the cons. And I think one of my biggest questions and one of, I, I, would th I think I've heard this question come up a lot is, um, how does it feel when others are putting out a piece of jewelry or a line of jewelry that incorporates a Remy Rotenier design and maybe your name is not on it or you're not invited to the, <laughs> you mentioned the other night, I don't get to go to fancy cocktail Some parties. Some of the cocktail you know? parties you actually don't go to. But you know, it's okay. It's okay. It's part of the deal. You know it in advance. I remember when I was younger, I would think about it sometimes and go like, oh well, you know. I didn't go to that opening and yet it was my babies were there because I always refer to my jewelry as my babies, you know? And so, so you do have a level of involvement with your designs, but you're also realistic. It's like you're lucid about it. You're passionate and lucid, which is also if you compare jewelry design with acting, which I've been doing theater my whole life. So for me, a lot of it um, comes in and has similarities. And so you get attached to the creations, you, especially if you follow them through the shop, so you see them evolving, going from, from a drawing in 2D to a finished object in three dimension. But you also have to let them go. Mm -hmm. You also have to let them go because you did them for someone else. They're yours, they'll always be yours in a way, but, uh, but you're also lucid about it and you realize that it's okay. It's okay to also walk away, maybe instead of going to that uh, cocktail party that introduced that collection, maybe that evening I went to a nice dinner with a friend and I enjoyed my evening without having any pressure mm -hmm. either, whether they're gonna, the whole crowd is gonna love it or not. I'll find out the next day, you know, if it was successful, if people responded well to it and we always hope for the best. But I think that it's important to let them go, let them fly. Yeah. A couple of things I want to ask you too while we're talking about private label work is, do you have any advice for, for us if we were thinking about getting into private label work? Do you, do you, want, do you have any mm -hmm. comments about stuff we could keep in mind, maybe how to negotiate certain contract? You know, is there anything that's kind of red flagged you that you could Well, there's share things with us? you can think about. You know, there's principles that you can think about. For example, one of the good things, if you wanted, if you were a young uh, designer or 
not so young, but let's say new at this, and you wanted to make a presentation, make sure to have a beautiful portfolio because people want to see the actual drawings, whether it's on your tablet, I think it might be acceptable, but it's really nice to flip the pages of a book with beautiful designs that you've created just because. You've created them just because you wanted to show beautiful work that you do in your hand. You know, in, in, in French, and I think you say that in English, um, a good hand is really incredibly important because that's what you want to show. You want to show your ability and how you can actually sketch and draw and, and render. Um, they, they don't necessarily need to see their designs that are being already incorporated into, in, in, you know, that you've already done all this legwork. You can be, of course, bien sûr, I was going to say in French, but of course you can show them designs that are things that are relating to what, uh, what they might um, have in mind, you know, or what they already do. But it would be preferable to actually show things that are coming from the heart, things that you've designed. So the, having a good portfolio is a great tool, a great presentation tool. Okay, cool. Any, anything that came up in your career working with Private Label that, that you felt was unfair for you? Like uh, any, anything that in the contracts that you maybe you've written with them that you would put in now that you didn't know when you started doing the Private Label work? Well, you know, I mean, my business coaches always have recommended to build a contract for Private Label, just like for custom design, just for like everything else. But the reality is I don't really do contracts very much because it does happen. I have some when I design, there are some collections I'm doing right now, of course I have contracts, but there's a lot of times when there isn't a contract because in our jewelry industry, one of the wonderful things about it is that a handshake works as a contract and you know, it's kind of old fashioned, but it's still, it's very prevalent in, in our um, industry. And people, you can trust them. I mean, there's very good people in this business, and that's what I love about it. So when they tell you something, you can believe it. I have never really had major problems with anyone. Yeah. I design for a lot of people, and, and really we agree on the pricing. I always tell them that I do my hours, and they believe that I will do the hours that is supposed to be for them, whether they're there to see and to notice that I'm actually there physically doing it, or I'm doing it at home, it doesn't matter. They know that the work gets done. Um, and I also trust that they will pay me on time. It's very rare that we have to, my assistant would have to run after someone to, to get um, a check. It's, uh, it's usually pretty good. Now, if you listen to my business coach these days, she will tell you that no, 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 we're going to make sure and write a contract just so that you feel better and they feel better. So that is a very personal thing. It depends who you work with. How long have you known them? Do you know their reputation? And do you feel confident about sitting down for eight hours and draw for them? And, and if that's the case, then don't worry about the contract. But if you're not 100% or if their policy is that for everyone that works for them, there is a contract, then you look into it. But I think I would keep some flexibility with that because every it's a case-by-case case kind of thing. Sure, yeah. Sure. You know. Do you do a deposit for work like that? Or 50% up front or a quarter percent if, uh, just to cover your... Well, again, if you listen to the coach, she would say it's probably better to get a deposit. And that this is my inner, my inner coach is surfacing as I ask you this question. And I think it's very smart. <laughs> I think you're very smart. We've had this conversation by the fire yeah. army, I know, yes. <laughs> years ago. Yeah. Yes, yes. But and it is a um, trust. I do think it is a trust situation. And it's, it is case by case because there's people really you've is. been working with for a decade. You're not going to, you know push a contract in their face and have them have to go through lawyers and it holds things up and it's like, you know, it, this is a very open business, I think. Um, and design is very fluid, you know, you have to make sure to keep the relationship, um, you know, in a comfortable place. Sure. And so there are clients that will pay me at the end of the day, Look, I, let's say at the end of the week. So if I consult for them and I put in my 40 hours, it's more like 45 most of the time, and then you're like packing your things and then suddenly you have this check waiting for you. So mm -hmm. you never even have to worry about it. I always make sure to write invoices, but, and I've given yes. it to them. That is very important. You have to make sure your invoices are very clean, very clear, so that for your books, bookkeeping, it's, it's no problem. You have to keep track of everything and that's important for your taxes, for everything you can imagine. But other than that, I mean, yes, there are people that will pay you right at the end of the, the work week. 
other people, you know, you'll do three days for them, you send the invoice, and it is a service, so you expect people to pay within a couple of weeks, but that's about what I expect from them, and, mm -hmm. and it's very, very rare that we have to run after it. So again, that would be, according to your business model, you're going to make some decisions on that, and that's a very personal thing. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think what you're talking about here too is such a good a good point. And we talked about it a little bit when we were talking about custom design and that one-on-one. -on -one. I really think mm -hmm. that a, a lot of this business and any business, any endeavor is about relationship building. Mm -hmm. You know, it's about that personal connection that you have with uh, with your the people that you're working for and with. And Absolutely, and then but when you do custom design, you have to have certain rules. So not necessarily to make people sign a piece of paper, but for example, before I get started on the custom piece, I do get 50% down because it's the only way for me to be able to buy the materials and to not feel like, what am I doing? What if they don't like it? You know, right. I, you know, I've again, it's super rare when there's any kind of problem because I have established a, a system that I actually teach my students where we put everything down, we also show them the model, we show them a drawing, then I show them a rendering, then they approve that, then we give them the pricing, they approve that again, um, after that they see the model, so that's when I get the 50%, and then they see the first model, even when they say, you know, Remy, I've known you so long, you don't need to show me anything, that's when I say, look, I love you too, but I want to make sure that this is perfect for you. You're going to live with it. So just allow me at least to email you some photographs so people can be, I mean, New Mexico, they might be in California. I have wonderful clients all over the country. So a lot of times I will say, allow me to send you some pictures of the wax or of the CAD design so that you can see it and confirm, check one more time, you know, give me a little bit of assurance that, every, that I'm on the right track. And it also gives them a, a feel that they're a part of the design experience. So private label is one thing that you decide on the contracts or not, but custom design, yes, I do get half down upon acceptance of the um, design and the pricing. Mm -hmm. And the other half when the piece is, is completed. Oh, I think that's the conversation we might have had a few years ago sitting by the fire. I mean, was the, mm -hmm. the uh, design fee. Do you do anything up front for the just the because the, your drawings are, I mean, works of art in themselves, right? And I know sometimes you even provide that drawing to the yes. client when they receive it. No, you're absolutely these. right. Sometimes you just give it to them. Yeah. But you know what? <laughs> It's the truth. Look, if somebody is going to spend $10,000 with you, wouldn't you want to give them the artwork that took you three hours oh, to paint? Of course. It's yeah. okay. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to give it to them. I mean, because you feel like you really want them to have it, so you make sure to take a scan of it. And, and really, the truth of the matter is, anything that is above, oh, I probably want, well, any of my custom work, basically, they will have the rendering if they want it. Some people say, no, it's okay, but it's super rare. Usually people want the artwork, they want to frame it. Now, when it comes to the conversation about the down payment or the, um, the designer fee, mm -hmm. again, this is where my brother was a, a famous jewelry designer and he was always on my case for that. He would say, you must charge $500 every time you design for someone. It is just the way that it is in the industry and what you can do. And if you're comfortable with that, go for it. Because that means that that's going to cover your time for all the research and all the design you're going to do and the revisions on the design. So it is, it is good to get that. Um, you can also take that 500, for instance, if that's a good price you're comfortable with, and deduct it from the final cost if you're going to manufacture the piece. What is very sad is when you do all the legwork and all the designing and, the, and you never hear from the customer again. That's a really, those are the moments when your heart sinks, you yeah, know, it's in. It's very frustrating and it, it makes you feel really bad because you feel like you did all the legwork and some other jeweler is actually going to manufacture the piece. Yeah. Does it happen a lot? No. Yeah. I can count on one hand the times that it's happened in my career so because of those clients that are super rare that out of those five maybe three of them i'm going to say had it made by somebody else locally somewhere else mm -hmm. and i'm going to say that a couple of them just things happened yeah they got distracted they saw a butterfly i say you know? <laughs> Squirrel, Squirrel, you know, so they lost track of whatever we were doing and then I annoyed them for something and then they were gone. Mm -hmm. But it's so incredibly rare. 
that I do charge it sometimes, I have to tell you, when there's a lot of design involved. If it's a sketch that I do real quick in front of them and then they say, that's it, that's what I want, I have a hard time doing that. If I'm going to produce the piece because I'm going to sell it to them at retail, which is what you have to do. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to be under a lot of the retail store operations that I know. So I know that it's always still a very good deal for the customer. If I've met with them in my studio, I have a low... Um, overhead and so I look into I take all this in consideration when we actually price the piece first at wholesale and then at retail and so I like to think of myself as being a little bit in between those those price points that it's going to be a little bit better than retail and definitely not at wholesale and I want to hurt my industry by any means mm -hmm. so it's got to have some kind of um, a price tag to it especially if a lot of amazing professionals are going to be working physically on the piece and I love using wonderful hands it's not even the word using is not right I love collaborating with fantastic good hands that will each put their mark on the piece and I love talking about the different people that work on the piece of jewelry that you will own um, to the client mm, and being open you know if yes you're doing the, you know, stone setting or a portion of it and mm -hmm. and I like to say that's okay you know I do there's a lot of people I think who feel they have to touch every piece every little part of you mean the, themselves yeah personally mm -hmm. and I just don't I don't know how realistic that is if you're growing it's not really a possible business. yeah I mean, for me, it's not possible because the way that I work, if you will, and, and I think that you do a lot of things um, on the bench yourself, but me, when I was 19 years old and I started in the jewelry industry, I actually went to the French Union School, L'Ecole du Louvre, and I, I went to the Louvre School and I said, you know, I want to be at the bench, I want to learn the bench, and they told me I was too old. So at 19 years old, because in France you had to start when you were like 16, so I was not given an opportunity to actually get on the, at the bench. And then I went for an internship and I was in a shop and I went in the, in the shop and I started doing stuff and they showed me how to use a burr and the burr went right through my finger the first day. Oh, the oh first yeah. day. Who Ouch. does that? Yeah. So I went home, you know, with the bloody you know, finger and wrapped up and I said, you know, if a paintbrush falls on my, on my foot, it's not going to create a big problem, right? So let's stick with, you know, design, um, watercolors and, and things that are a little bit easier for me to deal with. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so I personally don't do the work like, you know, I don't do what you do. I don't set the stones. I don't actually work at the bench and I'm plenty busy just designing for people. Very cool. Very cool. How about we shift gears a little bit? I want to hear a little bit about your grandfather working on designs for lingerie companies and a little bit where you came from. I feel like it's in your blood, this design, design. ability is um, ingrained in you and you've been around it since you were very young. Um, tell, tell us a little bit about that. I think everybody would love to hear a little bit about your history. You don't have to give us the whole thing. No, but I loved my grandfather and you know, it was incredible because he was designing lingerie. And as kids, we would go to his shop and we had rolls of lace that we were fighting with. And, and I loved watching him draw and, and it was a fascination. And then I would go to my father's office and, and it was incredible to see him doing his designs. And when I told my dad that I wanted to design jewelry, he just looked at me and he said, my son wants to walk on the moon. And I said, no, it's not that weird. We're all designers. <laughs> in the family. Is this where your walk on the moon ring came from? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> no, it came from my first uh, memory of television when oh. uh, Neil Armstrong like set foot on, on the, oh, the right. moon yeah. and I designed the, uh -huh. the CF Tranquility ring that was that ended up at the Albuquerque Museum in Albuquerque now. That was a great show. But about parents and design, yes, it was maybe in the blood from both sides of the family. So my brother became, uh, I became a jewelry designer and then my brother became a jewelry designer. And then, so we had a lot to share with that. Um, and you know, it's a passion for creation and, and being able to, to think about objects that don't exist yet, that maybe have a little voice in the dark saying, create me. And then what you do is you go find them in the dark and you bring them to the light. And gemstones love the light, as you know, and mm -hmm. it was very important for me to do that. I think I fell in love with gemology um, I was always drawing since I was a little kid, but I always tell my students, don't let that impress you because you can start at any time in your life and do a fantastic job. Mm. But um, gemology was also a big part of the, uh, the start of things for me. Yeah, the gemstones. Oh, yes. Uh -huh. Well, I think that's why many of us were drawn to this craft. And Well, for me, it was a little bit of metal. It was uh, 
the, well, the metals for sure, but the permanence of it. I loved, I had worked in glass and pottery and all these different crafts and I just really latched onto the metal once I got to that phase. And I think it's because I can drop it and it doesn't break. I can run <laughs> over it with the car and, it, you know, and it's still there. And I really, as just being a really rooted person, I really like the permanence of the Yeah, I can understand metal. that. Yeah, but the gemstones, I mean, we are all, I think, uh, just attracted to the shiny <laughs> in this industry. Well, but you know that it goes light, back... Like you said. The which? The light. Like oh, the said. light? Yeah. Oh, yes. But you know, whenever anybody is going to make fun of you when it comes to talking about shiny things, please remind them that since any time that anybody can think of, since the beginning of time, basically, we have been admiring the reflection of the moon and the water and the stars that were twinkling and like little diamonds and and maybe the reflection of a beautiful animal's eye you know in the sunlight mm -hmm. and maybe your kids teeth like glowing in the sun mm -hmm. and think about somebody's hair shining in the sunlight and all these things have been embedded in us i mean we are created by nature also and there are so many beautiful shiny sparkling things in nature a leaf that's against the sun that's starting to get transparent suddenly you find a rock and you realize that it you can see through it mm. all these things have been around around us forever so when you go to the smithsonian institute in washington dc and you look at some of the artifacts that we have found from thirty thousand years ago and that you realize that jewelry was always present, mm. that we always wanted to adorn ourselves with things that, uh, that sparkled, that did things. So anytime that somebody makes fun of you, you can always remind them that this has been going on for a long for time. For a long time, yes. and it's not gonna change. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> I, well, I always speak of this craft in general. I love that, Remy, it's so moving, and what a beautiful way to think about um, not taking grief from somebody else. <laughs> Exactly. Great way to turn that around. Oh, you like sparkling things. I'm like, you know, we have been for 35,000 years at least, or way more than that, probably. Just play that back to them. I'm just going <laughs> to carry it in my pocket and say, here, just listen. <laughs> listen no, but it's, it's true. I mean, it's all around us. And I think be the beauty of the world, the beauty of gemstones, and that's why I love jewelry design so much, are the best way of sometimes not thinking about the other side of things. Right. You know, when you spend time drawing, I saw it in my students today. I was at Creative Side teaching my class and seeing my students being so focused, being so into it, and discovering that by going dark under a high light, suddenly it starts making a substance look transparent. Mm. And the realization in their minds when that happens, it's such a gift, you know, and seeing the focus and during that time, the walls disappeared, the ceiling went away, and people were in the moment. Yeah. And I think that that's really a gift. Oh, it's so nice to see people in their flow, in that flow state. Oh, yeah. Um, it takes a little time to get, it, get there, but once they're in it, if there's no distractions, it's really... They love it. Oh, it's so good for you. Yeah. yeah. It's so good for you. And your class in particular, we host a lot of workshops and... Yours in particular, you can walk in and feel that energy of the, that, you know, the kind of the flow state and where they're just so zenned out and focused and yes. in the moment. They don't want to take lunch breaks. No, I know you can't get them to stop. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, come on, it's time it's to beautiful. just stretch your legs, make sure your neck doesn't get stiff, you know, <laughs> things like that. You know, just relax a little bit and enjoy your food breathe. at lunchtime, breathe, yeah. get something nice to drink, right. and then you get back a little bit refreshed and you get right back where you started. And that's what I love about it, is you can leave it there, you come back, and you know immediately where you were, and you mm. pick it up from there. Yeah, and it's good to walk away. It's good to walk away. I think so. Take a moment, like we said, yeah. Well, um, any more about your family you'd like to share, your background? My, my grandmother was a great lover of jewelry, and I remember she was this tiny little lady, mm. but she, and she has the smallest hands, right? But she had, a couple of large stones and I couldn't believe it when I was little because all you could see is the stones you couldn't even see the metal you could it was it was extraordinary and and I kept thinking sometimes maybe she needs smaller jewelry or right. but even though she was petite and I think that that has really made an impact on my desire to create jewelry because when I started drawing jewelry designs and showing them to her she loved the, the hand renderings 
but she would always want the emeralds and the, I, she loved emeralds. And I remember her saying, that stone looks like you can pick it up from the paper. And then my dad had another one. He would say that, and I don't know if this is going to translate in English, but he would say that this drawing is a visual caress. So maybe it's not exactly appropriate in English, but what he meant is was it was like soothing his soul, just looking at it. And to me, that was an incredible motivation oh, coming wow. from your parents. Who, is, who would you say in your life has been, um, it sounds like your family is very influential. I know you, you take care of your mother now, or she takes care of you. I don't know. It's a little, <laughs> a little bit, bit of both, both. really. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I think we're a team, and so yeah. we, take, we take turns. And what we do is we focus on the things that we do best. And that's what I love about my family is that we, are all, we all have certain tasks, and we know very well what they are. Mm. And how to take care of each other in a community is really about that. Develop the things that you do the best is my best advice. Wow. I love that. I love that. So um, who would you say that your a family member was the strongest mentor for you? Did you have an instructor or a, somebody that you could identify? Oh, yes. There were many amazing yeah. people. My teachers were very... It's hard to zoom in, right? On which on yes. one. Well, Maurice was wonderful because he really was instrumental in bringing me into the Tiffany world. Um, Mr. Loring as well. I, I can't thank enough Jacqueline Roblin, who was my first. She wanted one last good student in Paris, and she was tough. And she had been designing for Christophe's shop that I learned the industry um, in Paris uh, since the 1950s. And she really taught me a lot. There was um, some people that don't even know how influential they are on your career. Great designers also are also a good motivation. Mm. Um, fantastic looking models because you always think, how would she look wearing this? How would he look if you designed a really cool bracelet for this gentleman? So there's always some iconic people that you don't necessarily know how they influence you, but they're there. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, it seems like you're pretty good at identifying there, though, really. <laughs> you put more thought into it than some of us, I would say, for sure. So, um, we're going to throw, I'm going to throw you a little curveball here. I'm going to try something with you. This, okay. Let's just see how this goes. These are quick questions. I don't want you to think. I want you to just answer. Okay. There's only a few. Most inspired part of the day for you to work or design? You mean today? No, in, in, in general. Most inspired moment of the day is the beginning beginning the morning yes right when you like yeah. right at the get-go when you're looking at it you see your day in front of you yeah that's when i love it when it's because you can tell if you're ready to yeah. get started where, where how the day is going to shape yes uh-huh and what a great way to start your day too with getting those ideas out and on paper and yeah I the start that. the anticipation basically mm. of the day where's the favorite what's the favorite uh, room or space in your house to work and your house is beautiful. There's probably quite a few to choose from. My office. Your office. I've created an office that I've always wanted. And, mm -hmm. and I love the fact that it has different stations. One to draw, mm -hmm. one to think, one to paint. So it's complete. So in a way, it kind of helps you to stay with, because we're talking about focus. It helps to keep the focus. Oh, I love me, that you have different stations. Different so stations. Move around. Oh, yep. lovely. What would you say is your biggest strength? According to you? Staying open. Staying open, open-hearted, mm -hmm. open-minded. Uh, one habit you're working towards getting, changing or shifting gears with? Worrying. Worrying. <laughs> yeah, well, welcome to the, the worry. We need a worry support group, don't we? Yeah. yeah, and I mean, I think we need to keep busy because that's the best way to not worry about things all the time, you know? Because it's never the things we worry about that happen, let's face it. For sure, yeah. It's always worry. the stuff you didn't think about. I know, dun dun dun. And once you realize that, you stop worrying because you, mm. yeah. it's not gonna happen, yeah. basically. <laughs> well, and it's the anticipation of, like we said earlier, it's the anticipation of the thing that can create so much worry. But it really gives you wings when you start freeing yourself from that. I think yoga is a very good way of letting go mm -hmm. of certain things and breathing exercises and mm -hmm. trusting mm -hmm. and looking back at your past looking at the history helps yeah for sure for things, reminding right? yourself daily yeah absolutely gratitude yes. waking up with that gratitude which is sometimes hard if you wake up worrying it's like okay hold on flip it around right and, mm -hmm. uh, yeah yeah making a gratitude list is always a great way to lift your spirits mm. what you're excited about what you're grateful for mm -hmm. 
and what you're proud of. Yeah. Those are three really powerful tools for you. What you're proud of, I love that. What did you want to be when you grew up? I want to be a child again. <laughs> well, not what do you want to be, but what did you, what did you when you were Oh, what I did want to <laughs> become uh -huh. when I was a grown-up? A designer. I thought I was going to design for Walt Disney. So when I was working at Tiffany's, and in the U.S., no less, uh -huh. that was what I wanted. Uh -huh. So I got my dream realized. I mean, I, I still paint and I do miniatures and all, but and once in a while I'll throw in a cartoon character. But when I realized that the Disney um, office was pretty close to Tiffany's, I thought I missed my mark by geographically, not not so much. Yeah. Oh, how fun! So you always wanted to be a designer. You never wanted to be a veterinarian or anything wacky and off the. Sometimes I want now. That's what I want to do now because <laughs> I love animals so much that I could. I could start all over again and, and just learn to be a vet because I would be very proud to, to take care of animals because they're magic. Yeah. And yeah. you said earlier when, uh, when I asked you that, that you would like to be a child again. Would you really like to go back to being a child? I would start all over again. Would you? I'd probably do the same thing I did. <laughs> That's one of my next questions, Remy, yes. is what would you do different if you started over? Is there one, like, can you pinpoint something? You're so positive. You're not giving me anything here. <laughs> I would, I would no, worry I less. I think I'm better at, less, at worrying less as I get older. So I think I wasted a lot of time um, also being shy. Yeah. Yeah. I was very, very shy. Yeah. And as a child or isn't it in your I think in my young adult days I was actually really it was difficult for me to be in a room with people. Mm -hmm. And and I just wish that I didn't I think I would have done other things if I hadn't been so shy and conservative about um, jumping into situations and doing things. I did plenty, but I think that my shyness was not something that people could really realize because I could hide it very well. Yeah. And it's still there. If I get into a big crowd, I'm, I'm going to start sweating. Yeah. And I'm not comfortable in big crowds. And I wish I wasn't that way. I think that that's something that I could see at being different um, and shy in general about your endeavors. And I think that making big plans, you know how some people like aim at really large things. I think I was very happy drawing and I wanted to be left alone, honestly, doing it. Mm. So that has not changed that much, but except that now I really enjoy sharing with my students. Yeah, well, in teaching, that's one thing I think that really opens us up. It really does. And it shows us not only how confident we can be, but really what we know. Talk about being proud of what you've done, right? Yeah. I think when you sit and show a student something, you really tap into that source and remind we remind ourselves oh my gosh i do know how to do this it's it is yeah. almost a booster of confidence for the instructor we're learning as we teach you know absolutely we have to almost unwind our learning you know in order to say for example i i was always telling my students about um bare hair like you don't want to show fuzziness when you draw mm -hmm. And there's a remedy for that. You actually hover over the page until you, sh you know for sure where you're going. And I didn't realize that I do this. And it's a wonderful friend and instructor, Kate Wolf, who actually said, Remy, you hover over your drawing. And that's how you get away from doing the bare hand, why things start looking very fluid and very elastic and everything. But it's an illusion, right? Because in fact, you're hesitant, but you don't show your hesitation on the paper. Mm -hmm. You actually do your hesitation in midair. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Before so, you commit, <laughs> I didn't even know that I was doing this. You well, see? she's the scientist of of all things. I think she is she pretty remarkable. Really, she is. She can look at something and dissect, you know, and find ways to. She's just extremely innovative. She but, is yeah, brilliant. To be able to point that out to you, what a friend! Yeah. So teaching really helps us to get out of yourself. And you know, in in French we say existe, existing. In English is ex existere from the Latin. It means getting out of yourself. When you can get out of yourself and start being inside is when you start to exist. Isn't that a nice thought? Yeah. That you start being yeah. when you can get out. Wow. Yeah. Talk about the yeah, lesson to let go, right? Yes. Oh, I love that, Remy. Thank you for sharing that. Um, let's see here. Let's talk a little bit about... Well, I'd like to hear, I guess, the, probably a big turning point for you is, was coming to the States and... Uh, working for Tiffany and Company, is there something else you would uh, identify now in your life that was like a huge turning point or a huge shifter for you? That I would always be thankful to them and mm -hmm. and to the experience. I I think that 
you know, dreams do come true and we have to remember that. And when you finally buy the house of your dreams, when you meet the person that you wouldn't even think that you would be having the chance one day to meet, yeah. those are the real, the true dreams. And, and, and they do happen. You just have to believe and you have to keep going with it um, because it's not always easy. You know, um, things happen. People go through very difficult times and we have to bounce back. We have to trust and to believe that things will get better. That's the main thing is to stay positive and to believe that maybe we're going to talk about the difficult stuff. And then when we're done talking about it, we're going to stop and we're going to dust ourselves off and shake it and get out and put on your best shirt and maybe your best bracelet and go out and maybe there's still a little stone in your heart and you're still sad about something and that nothing no one can probably take that away from you but you're going to make sure and have a great evening or have a great night or have a great weekend or do something for someone um, to forget about it and maybe time will heal you because time does that it doesn't just give us wrinkles you know it also heals heals I always say that I agree yeah. with that completely. Time, time is really sometimes the only thing that can heal, you know, uh, but you're listing off some other really big things to think about, I think, with that healing. But time, the more time you put between an event, a life event, and the current, we just, you start feeling lighter and just more normal again, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so speaking of courage and confidence, what are you going to do now in your life? We talked a little bit the other day about well, shifting gears a little bit if you, if you want yeah. to share. I'm going to design my own collection because I've designed for everybody else and it's been great. And I really enjoyed, I designed my Bella Luce collection for jewelry television. That was really mine. That was my baby. I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed designing for Nambe. I enjoyed Cabana. I enjoyed my custom work. I love it all. But inside there is a little voice that says you have to make sure and still tell us some other stories that really come from the heart that are very, very personal and it's got to come out. So it's time. Before I get too old, I really want to design my own line. So I'm in the middle of it. And you know, when you've been designing for every, yes, when you've been designing for everybody else and you finally sit down and say, what do I want to design for myself? Like really, truly, if you only had one more collection to create, what would it look like? That's what I'm working on now. Exciting. So it'll be the Remy Rotonier. That's it. Not for someone. Boom. <laughs> Just the Remy line. Yes. The Remy line. So it's, I know that it's 18 karat gold because yes. that's my favorite. Uh -huh. I know it's a lot of, there'll be some white and rose gold, but a lot of yellow gold. And I know it's going to be petite because I want to keep it small. And it's just going to be wonderful. <laughs> well, I can't wait to see it, Remy. Um, we all can't wait to see it. And thank you for sharing with with us today, really. I, you know, I want to share this with our community. Like I said, I think there's a lot of doubt and questions and uh, fear. It's all fear, right? Fear-based when you're trying to get into something or try something new. Um, find that. You mean for the students, for example? I mean for anybody. Yeah, yeah, I think if you're trying to shift gears, there can be a lot of hesitation. Of course. And maybe, the, you know, when I was talking about what could I have done better, mm. I think I could have been more, I could have done this sooner. Maybe that's my only regret. It's mm. 10 years ago, I could have said, and I think when we met, we had talked about it. And then I get taken into all the different jobs that I do for everyone. And I almost forget myself and what truly is inside and what needs to be created. And so I will continue, you know, doing all the things I do. But now I'm listening to that voice for the first time, really, I think. And what I would tell people that are starting in this industry is, don't let things intimidate you too much. Yes, there is competition, but there's only one you. Mm. There's only one of you on earth. And if you really dig inside and, and come back you know, from the well with wonderful things, it's going to be recognized. People are gonna know that, that you are there and your voice will be heard. So that's my advice to my students in general. Mm. Is just do it. Just do it. <laughs> and don't wait. Just what I'm telling myself right yeah. now, too. Yes. Well, and I think we all, you know, it's it, it's everything. Every every turn we take, we have to be courageous and 
Uh, well, you have to be willing to take risk. Courage is a, you just, you just hit it. Mm-hmm. Courage is a very important part of creation. Mm-hmm. You know, dare to, to be. Mm. And what do you think about, I hate to use negative words, but um, failure. Um, my, my perception is that you, you, we sometimes have to make mistakes or we don't, we don't learn anything. We don't get to create. If you without. don't, you make only one mistake. If you don't do it. Right. You make only one mistake. Yeah. <laughs> Remy, I'm putting you in my pocket and taking you everywhere to be the positive voice in my head. Um, thank you so I much. I hope you guys do the same and really take these words to heart. Um, thank you for being so open with us. and. Uh, My pleasure, and thank you so much for asking me all these questions because they do make me think quickly on my feet, and and we don't have the space to do that very often, so thank you. You got it, Remy. All right, let's go get some sushi. All the best. (laughs) Sounds good to me. (laughs) Thank you all for joining me for this episode of For the Love of Jewelers, brought to you by Rio Grande Jewelry Supply. If you enjoyed the episode, and I hope you did, you can find a digital download by visiting riograndecom Please take the time to share it with fellow movers and shakers who may need some inspiration, and please feel free to add any comments or questions below. A special shout out to Rio Grande from all of us for being such a huge support to the industry by providing everything we need to create and maintain success as makers. I hope, like me, you will be sure to make them your go-to company for tools, materials, equipment, and technical support. I'm Courtney Gray, and until next time, onward and upward.